You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of a series called Rooted in Christ by Pastor Daniel White. Now let's prepare our hearts as Pastor White brings forth God's truths from his word today. We're going to look at a lot of very familiar passages of scripture this morning. We're almost a week now into the new year. And I've entitled the message this morning, How to Be Successful in 2019. I think everyone here would agree with me that they want to be successful in this next coming year. I don't think there's one person this morning that would say, I want to be a failure in 2019. No, we all want to be successful. And there is one thing that the Bible says, if we will do this one thing, that we will be successful in everything we do as a Christian. That's a pretty great promise, isn't it? A few weeks ago we talked about how that failure can be a stepping stone to success. And how that even though we may fail in a particular area of life, we can learn from those failures and we can change those and not repeat the same mistakes over and over again, resulting in tremendous success. We looked at many people who had been tremendous failures in their life, but they overcame those failures and became tremendous successes. The Bible says, For a just man falleth seven times, but he riseth up again. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. All of us throughout our lives are going to experience failure, but they can be very valuable lessons to us. But there is one thing that the Lord says if we'll do this, and most of us are not doing this. And it is the reason why we are not as successful in life as God would want us to be. But if we do this one thing, we'll be successful. Very familiar passage of scripture, Joshua chapter 1. Let's look at verse 1 first. As Moses dies and Joshua takes over leadership of the nation of Israel. Joshua chapter 1 verse 1. Now after the death of of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, now drop down to verse 8, God says this to Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, we're talking about the Bible here, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and thou shalt have good what? How many of you want to prosper in your life? How many want to be successful? Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. I don't know, but for some reason I've developed this habit, I guess, in my preaching, and that is asking you questions. I guess the reason for that is if I can just get you to begin to think down the same line that I'm thinking will accomplish something. And so I have several questions that I really want you to grapple with today, all right? I want you to think through with me today, and the first one is, how would you define success in life? I've just asked you, how many of you want to be prosperous? How many of you want to be successful? Every one of you raised your hand. But what does it mean to be a success? I think that most of us would define success much in the same way that the world defines it. To have wealth. To have fame. To have power. I think most of us would consider that a prosperous and successful life. Yet many of the most successful men and women in this world 
have not had wealth, have not had fame, and have not had power, and yet they were tremendously successful. Are you with me? Let's take Jesus, for example. He was despised and what? Rejected. He was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. He was homeless, he was scorned, he was mocked, and he was ridiculed. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And yet there was no one that was more successful in life than the Lord Jesus himself. Amen. Amen. Bringing many sons to glory. At the same time, many people that have acquired great, great wealth, who have had far-reaching influence, who are very famous, who have been outstanding in their achievements, have been tremendous failures in their personal lives. My wife was um, watching or reading a documentary on a woman that if I mentioned your name, every one of you would know who she is. And I forgot her name. Doris Day. How many have ever heard of Doris Day? Study her life. What a tremendous failure. Three marriages, broken relationships. Although every one of us here knew the name Doris Day and have enjoyed the movies that she has made. Even though the world would call her successful, she had wealth, she had fame, she had influence, and yet her life was a tragedy. It's not uncommon to hear of those who have obtained worldly success to struggle with addiction, alcoholism, drug abuse, and yes, even suicide. So certainly the way the world defines success is not the way our Heavenly Father defines success. So how would you define it? What is True success. I believe that true success could be defined as achieving the purpose that God has created you for. Achieving the purpose that God has created you for. 2 Timothy 1.9 says this, Who has saved us, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. God has a purpose for your life. God has a plan for your life. True success is achieving in life what God's plan and purpose is for you, which was given us in Jesus Christ, listen to this, before the world began. Before the world began, before God called everything into existence, obviously then before you were even born, God had a plan and God had a purpose for your life. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his what? Purpose. Don't ever think for a moment that God does not have a plan and a purpose for your life. Do you know what that plan is? Do you know what that purpose is? Are you living according to God's plan and purpose? If you are, then that defines what true success is for you in your life. Let me ask you another question. What is the purpose for which God created you? We've talked about this many times before. But what is the purpose for which God created you? I believe that God's purpose and plan for my life and your life is that we would please him and that we would live to the praise of his glory. 
that we would please him and live to the praise of his glory. So then we got another question I got to fire out there to you. Are you pleasing him with your life? Is your life focused on living to the praise of his glory? Let me read you a few verses. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy, come on, my, what? Pleasure. They are and they were created. You were created for his pleasure. Having predestinated us or determined beforehand under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. For it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good what? Pleasure. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, starts to backslide, starts to get away from God's plan and purpose for their life, now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. So either our life is bringing pleasure to the Lord or it is not bringing pleasure to the Lord. But without faith, it is impossible to what? Please Him. That we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. So are you, come on now, let's wrestle this out. Are you being successful in fulfilling God's plan and purpose for your life? Are you bringing in pleasure? Are you living to the praise of his glory? Or are you living for yourself? It's either one or the other. Throughout scripture you will find statements such as this. May the Lord be magnified. Let the name of the Lord be magnified forever. Magnify him exceedingly. The name of the Lord was magnified among them. What was the Apostle Paul's vision and passion in life? What is your vision? What is your passion in life? Listen to what Paul said. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body. My vision, my passion in life is to magnify the Lord in and through my life. Whether it be by life, whether I live, or whether it be by death, for me to live is Christ, what? To die is gain. My goal, my passion, my vision, my purpose, my calling is to magnify the Lord Jesus in and through my life. That is the holy calling that God has placed on every one of us. That's why God saved you. So many people think God saved me to keep me out of hell. No, that's a benefit of being saved. God saved you that you would live in such a way that it would please him. That it would glorify him and would magnify him. It is only when that becomes our passion, that becomes our purpose, that we will truly find success in life. So now I have another question for you. How do you bring him pleasure? How do you live to the praise of his glory? Oh, it's quiet in here today. I don't think I've even heard an amen yet. So how do you bring him pleasure? How do you live to the praise of his glory? There's only one way, and that's by being a spirit-filled Christian. 
Spirit filling is so important, so essential. Be not drunk with wine. We'll talk about this a little bit later. Be not drunk with wine. Where is an excess? Don't be intoxicated with wine. Be not drunk with wine. Where is an excess? The best way not to be drunk is don't drink at all. Be not drunk with wine. Don't be intoxicated with wine. But be filled with the Spirit. Be intoxicated with God. Not with alcohol. This I say then, walk in the Spirit. Be a Spirit-filled Christian. Live your life in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. They that are of the flesh cannot please God. So the only way to bring pleasure to the Lord in your life, the only way to live to the praise of His glory, the only way to magnify Him is to be a Spirit-filled believer. Ready for the next question? How do you become a Spirit-filled believer? Well, the first step is become a believer. Trust Christ. You know what, I, th- I, I, I may be wrong, but I think there's a whole lot of people think they're saved, but they're not. Many shall say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. He didn't say a few will say to me in that day. He said many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have, have not we prophesied in thy name, and thy name cast out devils, and thy name many wonderful works, and he'll profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. He didn't say I once used to know you, and I no longer do. Because once you're saved, you cannot be unsaved. Once you're adopted into the family of God, that adoption is signed, sealed, and delivered until the day of redemption. But I think there's a whole lot of folks that have made a false profession. And some of them have absolutely convinced themselves that they're saved, and they're not. It's a serious issue. To be a spirit-filled Christian, first of all, you have to have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. But I, 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 may, I may be wrong here. I'm, I'm wrong about a lot of things. This is never wrong. But I've been wrong about a lot of things. But I think if you were to just randomly select ten different Christians and ask them, what do you have to do to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you may get ten different answers. Satan just, he clouds that, he, he confuses that issue for us of what it means to be a spirit-filled believer. I know some would say, especially those who are definitely our brothers and sisters in Christ that come more from a Pentecostal or charismatic background, they would say to you, well, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And you have to speak in tongues. I want to tell you right now, that's not true. The old devil, he's convinced many that that is true. I'll never forget the time that we were at the Louds restaurant. And we had a church group there. and There was another church group that was there. It was on a Sunday night after church. and They came from a Pentecostal background. and Boy, they were whooping and hollering and they were, they were getting it on. And us conservative Baptists were over there with frowns on our faces. I'll never forget this one lady saying, oh, praise the Lord. That was the 22nd time that sister so-and-so was baptized by the Holy Spirit tonight. The Bible said, for by one spirit are we all baptized into the body of Christ. You know when that happened? That happened the moment of salvation. When God saved our wretched soul and placed us, immersed us into the body of Christ. Doesn't happen 22 times. The Bible says there's one baptism. The Bible says that tongues shall cease. When this tongues was a revelatory gift, when God's word was complete, there was no need for the gift of tongues anymore, and it stopped. I can prove to you historically that tongues ceased. Never to be started back up again. 
So that is not, I don't want to get off into that, but that's not, that's not what it means to be a spirit-filled Christian. Then you would talk to some other folks and say, what does it mean to be spirit-filled? And they would say, well, it means you've got to read your Bible every day. You need to pray fervently. You need to fast. Fast regularly. You need to attend church faithfully. You need to listen to the messages that the preacher preaches. And you've got to have a willingness to obey what you're hearing. I like that one. That's, that's a good one. You need to memorize scripture. You need to get involved in serving the Lord through your local church. You need to use the gifts, the talents, and the abilities that God has given you. You you need to examine your heart and confess your sin. And You can't make provision for the flesh. Now I want to say this to you, church. All of those are wonderful spiritual disciplines that all of us should have in our lives. But you can do all those things and do them in the energy and the power of the flesh and still not be a spirit-filled Christian. So what is spirit-filling? If we're going to be successful in life, fulfilling God's plan and purpose, living to the praise of His glory, magnifying Him, we have to be spirit-filled. So what is spirit-filling? The word filled is a word that means controlled. When it's used in the scripture, listen to some other ways it's used in the scripture. They were filled with fear. What do you think that means, church? Fear controlled them. They were filled with fear. They were filled with madness. What do you think that means? They were, they were, they were ticked off. They were controlled by anger. Here's another word. Sorrow filled their hearts. What does that mean? They were just overwhelmed. They were just controlled by sorrow. So the word filled means to be controlled by. There's also something else inter interesting about this, this verse. It's written in the present tense. I remember when I had, I had three years of Greek. I can't remember anything <laughs> that I learned in Greek class. But they used to always talk about the tenses of a word. This word is in the present tense. When something is in the present tense, filled, present tense, it means a continual, ongoing action. Are you all with me? Now you know as much Greek as I do. That was 30 seconds. I had three years of it. It means keep on being filled. Don't ever stop being filled. Pursue it at all times. The pursuit of the believer, my pursuit in life, your pursuit in life, should be to be filled, controlled by the Holy Spirit every single moment of our lives. Give me an amen. Jesus, and I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find, knock and the door shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, he that seeketh findeth, and him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, listen to this, are you still with me? How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit unto them that ask? When was the last time you asked the Holy Spirit to fill you and control you? To just take over. To enable you to fulfill your plan and your purpose. To live for the praise of his glory. And to magnify him in and through your life. 
Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I grew up in the Upper Peninsula. I grew up literally on an Indian reservation. All of Berga County that I grew up in was an Indian reservation. I believe that the first casino, if I'm not mistaken, in Michigan was built in Berga County. It was run by the Indian tribe. At one time, and I don't know where it is today, but Berga County was the number one consumer of alcohol per capita in the United States. It was not uncommon for me to ride my bike through downtown lawns and to see drunks laying on the side of the road. I always remember growing up seeing the signs, food and spirits. At least Satan's honest in his advertisement. And I hate to say this now, but sometimes my friends and I, we would make fun of the drunks and we would laugh at the drunks for the way they were behaving. When someone is under the influence of alcohol, they speak differently than they usually speak. And we laugh at them. They act differently than they normally would act. And we laugh at them. But the truth is, it's not a laughing matter. Now that I've gotten older, my heart aches for those who are alcoholics. You know what I want to be? I want to be an alcoholic for Jesus. I want to be drunk with the Spirit so that I speak differently and I act differently than I normally would act in my flesh. We are never commanded, never commanded to be indwelt by the Spirit of God. We are never commanded to be sealed with the Spirit of God. We are never commanded to be baptized by the Spirit of God. But we are commanded to be continually filled and controlled by the Spirit of God. So here's the bottom line, church family. Either you are a Spirit-filled believer or you are a carnal believer. Let's deal with it. Let's get honest with ourselves. So what are some of the characteristics of a carnal believer? They live according to the desires of the flesh. They are controlled by the flesh. The flesh lusteth against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. They are contrary one to another. There's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, pride of life. If we could just go through today and had the time just to stop and talk to each one of you individually. What would you have to confess? That for the most part I'm a spirit-filled believer? Or I'm a carnal believer? I said to someone this week, I looked at that. It's amazing how that someone else's life can so affect me. And grieve me. I talked to someone this week and I said, Can I just say something? As I look at your life, all I can see is just you feeding your flesh. I don't see anything other than that. I see no spiritual fruit, I just see you feeding and feeding and feeding and feeding your flesh. You feed your flesh, the flesh is going to become dominant in your life. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. They that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. 
put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. You know why so many of us are not successful in the life that God had called us to live? We're, we're just fleshly orientated. Self is on the throne. The Lordship of Christ has been rejected. And whosoever you yield yourselves servants to obey, guess what? His servants ye are to whom you obey. God's Holy Spirit has been grieved, has been quenched, and you're not enjoying your Christian life. And as far as being successful in what God has called you to do, I've told you this how many times. I love you guys so much. Every one of you, you're just, you're constantly on my heart. You're in my prayers. I think about you when I sit down and I prepare these messages. And I've told you this before. My number one heart's desire for you, my people, is that you would have the joy of the Lord in your life, that you would prosper and be successful in what God has called you to do. I'll be honest with you, I want you to be as happy in your life as I am in mine. So when I see you living this defeated Christian life and I see all that you could be, I'm telling you, it breaks my heart. When the Holy Spirit fills, when the Holy Spirit controls the believer's life, there's just a wonderful ministry that he has in and through us. Just let me rattle off a few of these two that I jotted down here. He guides us into all truth. He reveals biblical truth to us. He empowers us to serve the Lord. He imparts unto us and through us the love of God. He conforms us to the image of Christ. He gives us the assurance of our salvation. He comforts us. He puts his words in our mouth. He strengthens us in our inner man. He prompts us. He leads us. He guides us. He produces his fruit through us. This is something that a carnal Christian can't experience or enjoy. The fruit that a carnal Christian brings forth is just the opposite. Now listen. All of you look up here. Look, Please look up here. I can tell right now that God is speaking into some of your hearts. And I also know this. As God is speaking into some of your hearts today. And I thank the Lord for that. I can tell. Don't tell me I can't read faces. I can read your faces. But God is speaking to some of you right now. And this is where the, this is where the danger comes. Is as God is speaking into your heart and God is revealing truth to you and you're getting honest with yourself and the Lord. Remember that bird that swoops down and steals away the seed lest it bring forth fruit? He's swooping. And I'm going to, I just want to stop right now. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we give our concluding thoughts here, that you would bind the evil forces of the wicked one, that foul spirit that would steal away this seed that's being sown in my precious people's lives. And Father, I ask you that your Holy Spirit would do the work that only he can do as we conclude this message. You know, as I think about the Christian life, I think about just three terrible dilemmas. I'm done praying. You all can look up here. Three terrible dilemmas that we face. One has to do with our words. One has to do with our deeds. One has to do with our thoughts.
Here's dilemma number one. God will require of us an accounting of every word that we speak. Can I tell you something? That's a good motivation to keep your mouth shut. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. So here's the dilemma. We're going to give an account for every word that we speak. And the Bible says the tongue is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. And no man can tame the tongue. Wow, that's a dilemma. I'm going to give an account for the things that I say, and yet my tongue is uncontrollable. Number two. Dilemma number two. We will give an account for every deed that we do. Every word that we speak, every deed that we do, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what, that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. You know what the dilemma is, though? We have the law of sin warring in our members, and the things that we don't want to do, those are the things what? We do. I'm with you, Paul. Wow, that's a dilemma. The things that we say, the things that we do. Here's another dilemma. Dilemma number three. We are judged by God even for the wrong secret motives that we have. Not just by the words that we say. Not just by the things that we outwardly do. We are going to be judged by God for even the secret motives of our heart that no man knows about. If any man look at a woman to lust after her, a hidden motive of the heart, he's committed adultery already with her. And will be judged by God for that. The Bible said, Whosoever hateth his brother is a what? Murderer. My goodness. I'm going to be judged for the words I say. I'm going to be judged for the deeds that I do. And I'm going to be judged for the secret motives of my heart. Romans chapter 8. Let's go there. What is the answer to all of that? Romans chapter 8. Get those pages flipping. You know what? When you all have your Bible on your cell phones, I can't hear the pages flipping. Verse 1. There is therefore now no what? Let me see, I'm going to be judged for every word, every deed, and every thought. Every word, every deed, every thought. Say that with me. Every, every, every. There is therefore now no what? To them that are in Christ Jesus, and here it's qualified, who walk not after the flesh, but after the what? So how is this dilemma resolved? By walking in the Spirit. By being filled with the Spirit. Verse 4. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. The righteousness of the law, our words, our deeds, our thoughts, might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. They that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. Some of you are living death. That doesn't sound like success to me. For to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. We are going to be a spirit-filled believer. Fulfilling God's plan and purpose for our life and bringing him pleasure. Something has to happen. 
and that is we have to have a transformation happen in our hearts. Romans 12, 1 and 2. A transformation has to take place in what Paul called our inner man. Our thoughts, our words, our actions have to be controlled by the Holy Spirit in our hearts, in our inner man. As a man thinketh in his... Come on, as a man thinketh in his... So is he. Everything comes out of the heart. If anger is there and bitterness is there and lust is there, greed is there and covetousness is there, if pride is there, if that's in our heart, then that is what's going to be expressed in and through our lives. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart bringeth forth evil things. But those things which proceed out of the mouth cometh forth from the heart. They defile a man. For out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murders, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, blasphemy. These are they which defile a man. At the heart of every problem is a problem in the heart. Until the Spirit of God is controlling our inner man. Until he is controlling our hearts. We will not think right. We will not act right. We will not speak right. We will not do right. David, a man after God's own heart said this, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not want. The only way. I'm almost done. The only way that we will be able to live a life of victory over the desires of the flesh and of the mind and defeat Satan's constant temptations is to have the word of God controlling our hearts. What is the one thing that God promised that if we do it, we'd be successful? That if we do it, we'll be spirit-filled. If we do it, it'll control our hearts. What was the one thing? To meditate upon God's word day and night. And seek to apply everything that God is revealing to us. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou may observe to do according to all that is written therein. Meditate and do. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt find good success. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Some of you would need to get rid of some of your ungodly friends. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. You've got to get rid of your scorning friends. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in that law doth he what? Meditate. Meditation is not sitting there like yoga and going, and just clearing your mind. If you sit there and you get that transcendental meditation going on and that whole yoga thing, by the way, yoga is of the devil. It's satanic. We even have yoga classes going on in our churches now. But you, that's not the meditation the Bible talks about. God is talking about meditating on this book. Meditate on the truths, the principles, the verses. <clears throat> Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of scornful. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and that law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a what? Tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so.
The one thing that God says, if you'll do this, you'll prosper. You will fulfill God's plan, God's purpose. You'll live to the praise of his glory. You will magnify him in and through your life. You will discover the true meaning of life. You meditate on scripture day and night and observe to do according to all that is written therein. I want to leave you with this final thought. What happens when we meditate on Scripture? Transformation happens in our heart, in our mind. I want to tell you something. Our belief system changes. Some of you have a belief system that's patterned after this world. And then there's others of you here today, and I praise God for you. Your belief system is patterned after the things of this book. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of Satan's strongholds, casting down imaginations, those worldly beliefs. Casting down imagination and every high thing, worldly beliefs, every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity, take your mind captive, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's meditation. And having a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. We meditate. And then we observe to do according to all that is written therein. Our belief system will change. We live our lives living out what we believe. I'm going to say something to you. Stop feeding your flesh. Some of you here, you are so, look at me, you are so into worldly entertainment. You spend hours upon hours upon hours watching what my dad used to call the boob tube. You stream it on your phones. You're on your computer you're... and that's not to talk about all your hours you spend on social media blabbing listening to all that garbage and that's not to take into account all of your gaming Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy, vain deceit, after the traditions of men, after the rudiments, the way the world does it. And not after Christ. There is a spoiling effect that this world is having upon the church. You know what, Fellowship Baptists? Let's stop it now. What will be the result of meditating upon Scripture and purposing to obey all that God is revealing to you? Success. I remember many, many years ago when we went to our first Institute in Basic Youth Conflict seminar and we learned about meditating on Scripture. Maybe some of you, are, we're talking 30 years ago. We saw the image of a cow and how a cow ruminates and how they eat the grass and they chew the cud and they swallow it. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, a cow has like seven different stomachs. Four, swallow it, bring it back up, swallow it, bring it back up, swallow it, bring it back up. By the time it reaches to the fourth stomach, the cow has pretty much gotten all the nutrients out of that cud. 
The same thing is true of sheep. I did know sheep have four stomachs. You know how I know that? I wrote it down right here. <laughs> Rumination. The shepherd takes the sheep out to the pasture where they can feed. They feed until they're full. They swallow it, they bring it up, chew it, swallow it, bring it up, chew it, swallow it, bring it up, chew it, swallow it. You know something amazing that I just realized this week? As the sheep has four chambers in their stomach, we have four chambers in our heart. Now don't tell me that's not significant. Take it in. Chew it, swallow it, meditate upon it. God, what are you teaching me? What are you showing me? What are you telling me? I'm going to obey. And you bring it up again, and then you see even more truth. You bring it up again, you see even more truth. You bring it up again, you see even more truth. You want to be successful? Ruminate on Scripture. Let's close. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.